I will now read our anonymity statement and the sixth tradition. <clears throat> to those of you who might be here representing the print or television media, please help us preserve the cherished tradition of anonymity by refraining from taking pictures in this or any other meeting room. We ask that in your reporting on away that you use only first names or pseudonyms indicated as such of OA members and that you obscure the faces of those who identify themselves as OA members. The sixth tradition, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, lest problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. The format of this session is to have three speakers share for 20 minutes their experience, strength, and hope on the topic, followed by open pitches. This is a one hour and a quarter, one hour and 15 minute meeting. Okay, our topic is abstinence versus a plan of eating versus dieting. I will now read from the selected readings. Hasn't this been our greatest problem, truly committing ourselves to refraining from compulsive eating on an ongoing basis? Full of determination, we are great in the short run, but when the everydayness begins to set in, we lose interest. A diet is something temporary. In Overeaters Anonymous, we believe that abstaining from compulsive eating every day, one day at a time, a commitment to abstinence, pamphlet, page one. When first in a way, I didn't know what I should eat that each day. I asked other OA members who were using a food plan what was working for them. One member simply replied, I need to enjoy my food because I'm eating the way I will be eating for the rest of my life. It won't change someday. I found, too, through the years of moderate eating, one day at a time, that the weight did come off without any hint of dieting behavior. In OA, I started to focus on the events of my life, which turned out to be much more interesting than watching my weight go up and down. In fact, because my weight was none of my business, it took care of itself. That's from the Voices of Recovery, page 182. Okay, our first speaker today is going to be Joan G. Hi there, my name is Joan and I'm a compulsive overeater. Um, and I'm freezing cold. Just thought I'd note that and if my teeth uh, start shattering, you'll understand. Um, for those of you who don't know me, I wanted to start with a, um, a brief uh, history and statistics. Um, this coming November, I will have 24 years of recovery in Overeaters Anonymous. Um, thank you. We don't, it's okay. It's okay. I, I personally think it's amazing because I never stuck with anything. I'm one of those people that I'm real quick off the mark, and um, as soon as it gets difficult, I'm gone. And it's gotten very difficult, and I've stayed, mostly because I had no place else to go. Uh, my uh, top weight is about 100 pounds more than I weigh right now. I also have a bottom weight that's about 70 pounds less than I am right now. So I have been on both sides of the anorexic obese scale. I know this uh, disease intimately from all angles, and I, I think of myself as living, walking proof that sin is not well. Uh, I came into OA in November of 1980, and um, at that point, and I came in in San Francisco, abstinence was a very clearly defined commodity. It was 
so clearly defined that I think in regards to the title of this workshop, um, what happened for me is that abstinence became equated with a diet. Abstinence in 1980 meant sticking to your food plan. There were three choices of food plans, but we knew which food plan the winners picked. So if you wanted to be a winner as opposed to a loser, and losers didn't stick around for OA very long, you picked this one food plan and you stuck to it 100%, and any deviation basically meant you were out the door. And um, that's what uh, abstinence was like in OA in 1980 in San Francisco. Now, mind you, I was so desperate that I um, came in and accepted it all with open arms and managed to find a certain amount of recovery anyway. But I'm telling you this to explain to you why at this point in my recovery, 24 years down the line, and I have received huge gifts from OA and my life has been reoriented 100%, I still have a very hard time with the word abstinence. Because every time I hear the word abstinence, and you know I clearly speak for myself, because I know this is a very important issue in OA, but every time I hear the word abstinence, I remember this diet that I did for two and a half years when I came into OA. While I did the steps, and while I did service, and while I learned the language, and um, found a basis for the first relationships that I ever had in my life, where I actually like revealed a little bit of who I was. This was a tremendous learning ground for me. I was a very isolated person when I came in here. It was um, three weeks after my 28th birthday. I basically had had a complete nervous breakdown after being obese my entire life. I had gone on a liquid protein diet. It was called, appropriately enough, the last chance diet, and I figured it was the only way that um, I was ever going to uh, take control of my life. I knew very little about myself. I knew none of the things about myself that I now know from having worked the steps um, so, uh, uh, so deeply and so repeatedly over the years. So um, what I knew was that I was a crazy sick person and that if anybody knew uh, what was going on in my mind, I would be locked up. So my object every day was to keep people from finding out exactly how sick I was. And the worst part of my sickness centered around food. I knew this. And my biggest secret was that the more I ate, the hungrier I got. And I knew that that was insane. That there, I knew by the time, way before I even got here, but definitely by the time I walked into the door of Overeaters Anonymous, was that there was no amount of food in the world to make me feel full. I ate until it was literally backing up out of my throat. I wasn't um, bulimic, uh, throwing up bulimic, but I did eat until it backed up and came out my mouth again. And, um, and then I would pause and wait and let it settle and continue eating because no matter how much I ate, I could not get full. And I didn't know of anybody on the planet that had ever experienced this. In 1980, they weren't writing about it in magazines and, you know, talking about it on television. I really thought I was the only person, and I thought I would get locked up if anybody ever found out about this. So, of course, you know, it had all the stuff that goes along with that. My eating was in secret. Nobody ever saw me eat. Nobody could understand why I was so fat, on and on and on. Um, 
it's all jumbled up. It'll come out how it comes out. But um, it's why I prefer when I'm using my language about what I do with food and how I recover today to talk either about sanity with food or sobriety with food because I am also a recovering perfectionist and I find my perfectionist travel, my perfectionism travels side by side with my disease of compulsive overeating because I still in some place in my mind think that there is a right way to do things and a wrong way to do things and I have a great deal of trouble giving me, Joan, permission to do what I need to do to take care of myself, especially if it's different from what you all do to take care of yourself. And when I was presented with those food plans 24 years ago, I really could not reconcile. You can say, take what you want and leave the rest from from here till forever. But what I hear is this is what we all use to recover. And if you can't recover doing this, there's something wrong with you. And you may not be able to belong. And I've been trying to belong someplace all my life. And that's why when I came in 24 years ago, I accepted that food plan with open arms because I thought it was my price to, my price for admission to Overeaters Anonymous. And this was the first place that I actually could see myself belonging that I had ever found in my whole entire life. I was um, the black sheep of my family. I was the odd one out wherever I went. If it wasn't because I was 50 to 100 pounds overweight from childhood on, it was because I was too smart, it was because I was too verbal, it was because I was too fearful, it was because I was too crazy. There was always something about me that cut me off from people and stopped me from feeling like I belonged anywhere. Overeaters Anonymous, when I walked into my first meeting three weeks after my 28th birthday and I heard people talking about eating because they couldn't get full, it just, it just blew everything opened for me and I knew I was home but I was desperately afraid that you wouldn't let me stay here if I couldn't follow the food plan and I couldn't be abstinent and and on and on and on see how it's all locked up for me and see why I do much better when I focus on being sane with food sane with food is the result for me of a process that I have been following for 24 years I don't count days because I don't think an insane person can count days of sanity. I don't have a goal weight because I think a goal weight is antithetical to what I'm trying to do here. One of the things I heard at my first meeting that really captured my heart was that I had a threefold illness, that the symptom was physical, that the cause was emotional and that the solution was spiritual. If anybody had told me that my solution was something else besides spiritual, I would have had to leave. A spiritual solution was the only thing that could possibly deal with this. I mean, I was told I had a spiritual hunger. Finally, there was an explanation for why no matter how much, why I would start out at the beginning of the meal hungry, finish the meal hungrier. It made no sense why I would have to eat a meal before I ate a meal and 
still not before. It was the only thing that made any sense. I was hooked on this place for life, but I had a very painful experience trying to settle in my heart and my soul what to do with the word abstinence, what to do with the concept of a food plan that the harder I tried to stick with, the worse my eating got, and how it could possibly be any different than all of those diets that also all I ever did was gain weight from. That has been uh, one of my most tender and difficult paths. Um, I struggled for years in early recovery with what to do with my food and my eating. And once I got past those first two and a half years of eating perfectly on my food plan and gaining tons of approval, which for a person who was never approved of ever in my life, I found terrifically seductive. And if we as a fellowship could do one thing for each other, it would be, in my mind, to go easy on the approval and the rewards and and easier on the shame for the failure. Because I think both of those things, for me, all they did was kind of reinforce everything that had ever happened to me around food and my body and my shame about being different and out of control. And, and, and that was part of the program. And I've always kind of shied away from that part. That's why I'm, I'm kind of one of those people that doesn't like applaud for weight loss and 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 because I don't want to, I don't want to like then hear the space where everybody's booing for the failure. Um, you know, I believe that we all deserve a lot more than that in these rooms. I believe we all deserve a tremendous amount of respect for sticking through it and doing our best and trying, no matter how long it takes us. And I also believe we do each other a great disservice. Um, by not letting each other know how many decades it takes most of us to find any kind of recovery. How most people do nothing but stumble around for the first 10 or 15 years. Some of us even stumble around for longer than that. And it's okay, it's part of the process. At least you get to stumble around with friends. Um, something that's really important for me to talk about when I'm talking about words like abstinence and food plans and sanity and sobriety is hunger. That hunger thing, I find it very curious for a food a program where we're dealing with compulsive overeating that, that we don't talk about hunger very often and what that hunger means. Um, out there in the world, people talk about, well, you know, you have to check out and see whether it's emotional or physical. I've lived in this body all my life. It all makes me feel, whether it's emotional or spiritual or physical, it all makes me feel as if I don't put something in my mouth right away, I'm going to die. Okay? I am starving to death. Look at the flesh melting off my bones right in front of you. I'm going to die. So I cannot do an intellectual exercise. By the time I'm in the throes of the hunger, there's no intellectual exercising left for me. I have to be prepared before I get to that point, and I believe that's why the steps of this program are so brilliant. The steps and the tools which connect us to each other, which connect us to ourselves and connect us to a, higher, a power greater than ourselves. I tell newcomers to the program, please don't worry about the food part right now. Please start working the steps and start using the tools. Call me. Let's talk. Tell me what your hunger is about. 
tell me what you're hungry for. If we can set aside the issue for, of food, because we're all hungry for food, what could there possibly be in there that you are not allowing yourselves to have in the world that is driving you? For me, I discovered that it was a whole group of different things that I had no concept of until I came to OA and spent years looking at the living examples in front of me of how people live their lives. In my family, there was one way to live your life. I couldn't do it that way. Therefore, I was going to wind up in a psych hospital, which I eventually did wind up in at, but only for a short while, and I called an OA friend who helped me come and sign out against medical advice, and I went home and I started living my life. I realized in the psych hospital that, um, that I think we use the word crazy a little bit wrong. I still had choices left to me that I wasn't willing to make, and I had to start making them. And my choices for me was that I was going to start living my life as fully as possible. I was going to start feeding my, quote, real hunger, my passion for life, my passion to be connected to people, my creativity, my desire to be useful in the world instead of just doing what I was told was appropriate, my desire to expand past my tiny little emotional borders that I was told I was allowed to have. That's the stuff that what it eventually did is it made me less hungry. So I guess that's the message. There's another way to work this program other than starting with abstinence and working backwards because some of us are so prone to relapse that it's just going to take us decades and decades and decades and some of us run out of rope before we get there. I have lost a number of friends over the years to compulsive overeating at its, at its extreme. So I had a sponsor who told me some of us need the backdoor approach and that's that you work on the spiritual and emotional recovery and the weight takes care of your, itself. I don't worry today about whether I'm abstinent. I keep my focus on if I'm present in my life, if I'm feeding myself what I need to be fed, and then I find that my other appetites take care of my, themselves. Um, I don't have a goal weight. I weigh somewhere in the middle of my top weight and my bottom weight. It seems to be the weight that I can maintain and live a life and take the risks and deal with the fears and the shame that I have in my life. I also do a lot of therapy. And that's something that I've needed as an adjunct to work through a lot of the issues that have come up for me in the steps. I found that I couldn't get the help I needed just from the program. Um, what I do and don't do today, I don't have any forbidden foods. My basic food plan is that I eat when I'm hungry and I stop when I'm full. But I do pause for a moment in the morning and look ahead at what my day is going to be like to make sure I have spaces for meals because I get real crazy if I don't take care of myself around food. So I do do that. I email somebody how I'm going to do that on particularly difficult days. I meditate every morning. I say a prayer and ask for help. I make lots of phone calls. Um, I want to read something at the end because I knew I was going to run out of time because there's so much to talk about with this and I have, it takes me longer because I get scared that I'm going to freak everybody out when I say that I don't use the word abstinence. I use the word, the phrase sanity with food um, because that's what works for me. But there's this wonderful reading in our OA for Today book that's helped me tremendously. Um, it's on December 18th, and it's titled, Beware Lest You use, Lose the Substance by Grasping at the Shadow. And it speaks to keeping the focus on abstinence 
as opposed to some of the other elements of our program. It says weight loss is not what the OA program is about. A normal sized body is a fringe benefit received in the course of reconstructing that which cannot be seen. Interchange is the substance of the 12-step program. It is sad to contemplate that there are OA meetings where food plans and food sponsors take precedence over the 12 steps. Newcomers are given shadow in place of substance. When I take a sponsor, both of us understand that we may or may not discuss food and food plans. The whole idea of having a sponsor is predicated on my need for guidance in working a spiritual program by someone who has attained a measure of experience in doing so. For today, I have done enough research on weight and diet and weight loss programs to know that the program we have in Overeaters Anonymous is not one of them. Again, I speak only for myself. I hope you didn't come here expecting something different, and if you did, I hope you get it. Thank you. Our second speaker, our second speaker is Carlin from Clarksburg. Hi, my name is Carlin, and I am a compulsive overeater. How's everybody today? Good, right on. Let's have some fun. Yeah, that's a thought, huh? <laughs> um, I uh, went to my first OA meeting on um, November 9, 1988, and I heard in that meeting um, something that changed my life. And what I heard was, is Carlin, you don't have to compulsively overeat ever again, one day at a time, if you don't want to. And that has been true for me from that day to this day. And one of the reasons for that is because I heard another thing there, and that is that abstinence is the number one thing in my life without exception. Abstinence is the number one thing in my life without exception. I came to you guys without a word to call what was wrong with me. I thought that the fact that I wrapped up the box of cookies in a bag, in a, in a, in a, in a uh, Ziploc bag, and put them at the bottom of the garbage can under all the trash, and then when everyone was asleep, went back and got egg yolks up to my elbows so I could get out the very pristine bag and start eating it again, was because I was insane or because I was the fat one in my family. I come from, I come from the land of the fairy people. <laughs> they do not live in reality. And, and right now, the way that I look, they think I'm fat. Um, after 15 years of recovery, they're like, well, she's getting nothing out of those meetings. <laughs> Seriously. Um, and uh, thank God for my beautiful sponsor who um, shows me every day that you can be beautiful and, and, and abstinent and not look like you come from the land of the fairy people. I love you, Rebecca. Um, I have people in, 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 in the program who support me in that. So I thought that um, the reason that I went through the drive-thru and ordered three meals and five Cokes was so that, that because the 15-year-old who was giving me all of this would really care whether or not I ate all three meals. Um, couldn't get one Coke, then they'll figure it out. Um, and 
And you guys gave me a word, and that word is compulsive overeater. I know what's wrong with me today. I'm a compulsive overeater. Now, I'm also a person who suffers from depression. I'm also an incest survivor. I'm also a member of a fellowship of religious people. I'm also somebody who votes one side of the ticket versus the other side of the ticket in a national election. I'm all of those things. I'm also somebody who has gone to a gynecologist, a therapist, um, various things in recovery. But what I am when I'm in this room with you is I am a compulsive overeater. That's what we're here to talk about. Because the, the fifth tradition says that each group has one primary purpose, and that's to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Now, we're out for coffee someday, and you want to know who I'm voting for, maybe we'll talk about that. You want to say, Carlin, how is it that, what did you do about that incest? And, and it, when you were working on that through the steps, is there anything else you needed? You betcha. When we're in the rooms of Overeaters Anonymous, I'm a compulsive overeater. And the word that I use here is abstinence because that's the one that, that you guys taught me, and that's what OA talks about. I came into Overeaters Anonymous with a, with a plan. They say that the steps were a plan of living that really works. Well, I had a plan of living that really wasn't working. And my steps looked like this. Admitted I was powerless over how wrong you were, and you made my life unmanageable. <laughs> Came to believe an entire sheet cake and one dozen donuts are a single serving. <laughs> I was just in a Ralph store the other day. I used to live in Southern California where they had Ralph's, and I had, now I'm in Northern California. You know, they haven't had Ralph's up here for a while. They had a, a sheet cake that was this big, okay, with the top right there. It said it served 24 people. <laughs> It says, serves 24 people. I laughed out loud. The guy's like, what, is there something on that cake? I'm like, yeah, there's a sticker that says it serves 24 people. Like, that's not even enough for me. That's like, that's like, that's like hell. If that's the only size cake they had in the bakery, it's like, ah, you know, it's a twilight zone. Um, number three, made a decision to eat at you so you will change. <laughs> I tell you what I'm going to do because you're so mean to me. I'm going to get big and fat. <laughs> Made a searching and fearless moral inventory of the bakery section. <laughs> you get the idea. So my rewrite of the steps wasn't working in my life. I came to you guys um, at the point where I had no hope. The only thing that was consistent in my life was that I knew a place where you could drive through and get Twinkies so I wouldn't have to get out of my car. You know how embarrassing it is to have to go buy that stuff when you're fat? It's embar- it was embarrassing for me. I hated that. So I, so I would drive like 25 minutes out of my way on the way home from work to get to the drive-through Twinkie place. And then I would drive another 25 minutes out of my way so that I and stopping at, at um, fast food places all the way. It was, you know, it worked out real good for me. It wasn't like I was using that time meditating in the car and said, uh, another 25 minutes out of my way because there, I had found a dumpster that I could drive up to. So I got the junk food, stopping along the way, and then I got the dumpster. I didn't have to get out of my car either, put the food away, came home, and had dinner. That was the one consistency in my life. The other consistent thing in my life was that I had no relationships that I could count on at all. None at all. And 
I'm just going to put in right here, abstinence has taught me how to have a relationship with food. I like caring about sanity. I believe that I have been restored to sanity. Does that mean that I've been restored to perfection? Unfortunately not. I have been restored to sanity, which means I know what I ate. I know what I ate for breakfast. And when after I have lunch, I'm going to know what I ate for lunch. And that, for me, is a miracle. Because I, on that way, from the Twinkie place to the several, at least three drive-in places, if you had asked me when I got home, are you hungry, I would have honestly said, yes. Have you eaten anything today? Not a lot. I can't remember. So, I, I, like, I, I like hearing about that, sanity with food. And, um, and the other thing that was consistent in my life is that I had a suicide plan and I went over it every single day. I knew exactly how I was going to do it. Because I knew the inevitability for me. There's no question in my mind that I was going to die of compulsive overeating. I wanted to. All I could think about was the size of my butt and what I was eating, what I wasn't eating, when I could eat again, why can't I eat more, why is she so thin? That's what consumed my entire life. I was a waste of oxygen, of carbon dioxide. I was a waste of space. That's all I thought about. And when I came into Overages Anonymous, if you asked me if I was self-centered, I would have said, no, I have the lowest self-esteem on the planet. I'm the piece of junk that the world revolves around. That was true. I had no idea that thinking about how I weigh all the time and thinking about what I eat all the time, that that was self-centered. I didn't, I didn't understand that. And I didn't understand that wanting to kill myself was self-centered. Wanting to kill myself, not because something tragic had happened to me, because something tragic had happened to me when I was a little girl, but that's not why I wanted to do that. It was because I wanted to eat everything I wanted to eat, and I wanted to be thin. And if I wasn't thin, I didn't want to live. And I knew I was going to die of compulsive overeating. I came to you guys nine days after Halloween, and I started my last binge on Halloween. And I ate nothing but the little candy bars for nine days. I was totally insane when I got here. So when you told me that I didn't have to compulsively overeat one day at a time if I didn't want to, I grabbed onto that and I have never let go. If you came in here today with a question about whether or not you're abstaining, when you leave, you will have an hour and 15 minutes of abstinence. I have been abstinent 15 and a half years. That's important to me because I was a compulsive overeater all my life and I want so much not only to know that God is working in my life, it is a spiritual recovery for me, but that God is working in my life on a physical level so that I can share that with somebody else. If I had walked in the rooms of Overeaters Anonymous and somebody had said, something other than you are a compulsive overeater and the thing we do here is abstain and carry the message of compulsive overeating, I would be dead. I would be dead. I, I, I had heard all of the other words in all of the other places. I needed to hear what Overeaters Anonymous had to say. And it has saved my life. Because, and, and, and 
I'm obligated, because I have a changed life, I'm obligated to share that to, the, to somebody else, to share that with the next person, and to share it as clearly and, and, and lovingly as I possibly can to get my ego and my needs out of the way and to talk about what Overeaters Anonymous can do for all of us. And if you're here and you have a question about whether or not you have abstinence, walk out the door and claim it. Claim that you have abstinence for an hour and 15 minutes. And then what my first sponsor told me is live. Live it. Act as if, Carl. I know most of us have heard that. Act as if. And you know what? As I was acting as if, I knew what it meant and I knew what to do. Fifteen and a half years have gone by. And what, what abstinence is, so that my rewriting of the steps didn't work. So my rewriting, the definition of abstinence, doesn't make sense to me today. And the definition of abstinence, as defined by Overeaters Anonymous, the, the group conscience under a loving higher power, that, is, that has changed my life and changed my focus from how am I going to kill myself and or, and or eat as many big snacks as a human being can, how am I going to go from that to being a useful human being, to having a relationship with people where they want to be with me and where they say they love me and having children that are, that are thriving and growing and who, for the most part, as far as I can tell, don't live with constant shame and pain in their life like I did when I was a kid. How do I go from that place to this place? And, and how I do that is through the action of refraining from compulsive overeating. That is how Overeaters Anonymous defines abstinence. And that has worked so well for me. I came into Overeaters Anonymous when abstinence was a tool, and that was a little confusing. The meetings that I went to Abstinence was the primary purpose. It was the fifth tradition. And, but the literature was a little bit different. And I'm really grateful that now the literature is clear, that the literature says that abstinence is our primary purpose. It is the message of Overeaters Anonymous. And, and so when I can talk about abstinence, and when I talk about it, then it's really easy for me, and when I think about it, sorry, it's easy for me to understand that it's not a food plan. Because it says it's the action of refraining from compulsive overeating. And what, what I love about that is that it's like the action of standing up from a chair. When I want to stand up from a chair, I don't, it's, I, you know, think, I think about that. And I think, okay, first I have to kind of scoop my butt up. That's what my daughter calls it. Scoop my butt up to the front. And then i got to use my knees. And then i got to use my thighs. And then i got to use my back. And then i got to know which direction I'm going. And then i got to use my feet. And that's what abstinence is like for me. It's the action of refraining from compulsive overeating. One, one plan of three meals a day, which is, which is a basic for me, is not enough action. That just gets my butchie up to the edge of the chair. Like we've heard already, I make three phone calls a day, again. I'm back doing the same thing I did when I was brand new. And, and it's great, but I resisted it, definitely. Um, a couple months ago when I started doing that. So I go to meetings. I have a sponsor. I know what step I'm working. I know, I know some OA phone numbers by heart so that when, when it comes on me, I've got somebody else to talk to about it. And it still does. You know, they say, we say in our, in our beautiful uh, third tradition in, in, in our OA book, it says, you know, 
um, is the obsession ever removed? And the answer is yes and no. <laughs> um, you know, the, the, this, the, I think that the compulsive overeating is one of the most difficult diseases in, in the addictive spectrum. And one of the founders, uh, one of the, 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 the uh, first pieces of literature in Overeaters Anonymous was written by Dr. Thibault, and he was a friend of AA and all the founding fathers of AA, and, it, and it, he calls compulsive overeaters the most difficult, of, the most obsessive of the compulsive people. It's, re, it's tough what we've got here. And so just having, the, just having an understanding of what I'm going to eat today and having the perfect diet not enough for me because you know what I'm not just fat I came in here I'm, by the way I'm maintaining 60 pound weight loss and I'm also I haven't I was bulimic and I haven't binged or purged one day at a time in 15 and a half years and um, and I'm also up from my lowest weight I've got a, um, you know 90 to 100 pounds from my lowest to my highest um, and um, um, where was I oh Dr. Shibo so uh so, um, wow. Woo, that was fun. Okay. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, so just having a food plan is not enough for me because I'm not just a person who needs a diet. At one point, I, I tried a diet. I tried so many diets. I tried one that was just, you picked a, one color of food. Oh, I think they were thinking green might be the appropriate <laughs> I picked white, <laughs> frosting, ice cream, potatoes, yay! <laughs> Didn't work real well. Uh, so, so just having, uh, just having, knowing what I'm going to eat, that's not enough for me. I need a spiritual program of recovery, and that's the steps, and what helps me stay on the steps are the tools, the literature, the meetings, the sponsorship, me sponsoring other people, me saying yes to the program of Overeaters Anonymous. You know, I, I mean, I said yes to a diet that said you've got to pick a color. So I can make a commitment to that. <laughs> I can make a commitment to Overeaters Anonymous. You know, I mean, that I can do what you guys ask me to do. And, 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 I can, and I can practice it to the best of my ability. And sort of finally, the, the thing that I love about the concept of abstinence, as it, the, the, the idea that it's the action of refraining from compulsive overeating, is that... When I'm refraining from something, I'm not saying that it doesn't exist. I'm acknowledging the power of that. I'm acknowledging the presence of that. And I'm saying, thanks anyway. I'll check that in with you tomorrow. You know, one day at a time. We'll see. I fully intend to figure out when they come up with a low-carb, no-sugar, rice flour donut, if that's going to work for me. <laughs> Um, but I'm not going to do it today. I'm going to do it. I'm not going to do it today, just for today. And and the miracle is, is that every day I wake up, it's today. So that works out really well for me. Is that that kind that that way of thinking works in every area of my life? The action of refraining. I can't stop doing anything. I can't. I couldn't stop yelling at my husband. But when I refrain from yelling at him, well, first of all. That gives me an opportunity tomorrow to yell as much as I want. But also, <laughs> I'm not trying to do something impossible. I'm refraining. I think that, I, I feel that I have lost a lot of friends in a way 
because of the idea that abstinence is something that has to do with my food and my butt, as opposed to it being an action that I can choose to take one day at a time, that I am refraining from something that I have admitted is killing me. And that is a lovely thing. It's a huge gift. It's a huge gift. I ate an apple in between meals when I had three weeks of abstinence. And I called my sponsor in tears and I said, I broke my abstinence. And she said, hmm, let's see. Are you, uh, did you take the second step that you wanted God to restore you to sanity? Yeah. So did I. So we both are insane on this matter. Let's see what happens. I count my abstinence from the first meeting to this day. I have not binged or purged. I have not dieted. I have not taken the first convulsive bite one day at a time. I have had ugly days with food. If there's food police, I'd be in jail, baby. But let's see what happens. Somebody, thank you, somebody who is abstaining when they have the crisis of an apple in between meals, talk about perfectionism, um, doesn't call their sponsor. Somebody who's wondering if they're abstinent doesn't show up at a meeting and say, I'm wondering if I'm abstinent. That's, to me, that's abstinence. That's the gift of this program. It's working in my life. From the 12th step, those of us who live this program don't simply carry the message, we are the message. Each day that we live well, we are well, and we embody the joy of recovery, which attracts others who want what we found in OA. We're always happy to share our secret, the 12 steps of Overeaters Anonymous, which empower each of us to live well and be well one day at a time. Thank you for saving my life. And our third speaker is Marilyn M. Hi, my name is Marilyn, and I'm a compulsive overeater. Hi, family. Hi, friends. OA has truly become a family for me, and the friendships that I found in OA have sustained me <clears throat> through so many things through the years. I first came through the doors in 1976, thought everyone was crazy, bought every piece of literature just in case you had something I might want. And uh, as my disease progressed, I came back in 1979 and have been here ever since then. I have to read some things, and the glasses are not the kind that you can, well, you're blurry, this is clear, and then you'll be clear again. <laughs> I will. Okay, I listed so I wouldn't forget everything that I have tried. I started out with something called the Ginchy Weighted Diet, which was Sandra D. at the time, and that was where you left half of the food on your plate. The Air Force Diet, the Raw Egg Diet, AIDS when they were little candies and not what they are now. Slender Now, Metrical Juice Fast, Fasting, Diet Pills. When I was three pounds overweight at 133 pounds, I went to the doctor and he gave me a super speed to get down to 130. Vegetarian health farms in Mexico, uh, the shots, the, the uh, pregnant women shots. 
eating disorder clinic from my uh, business because I had gone through a period of bulimia, laxative, and diuretic abuse. The egg, the uh, bacon and grapefruit diet, the cabbage food diet, more prescription diet pills, hypnosis, $500 to the Schick Center for Aversion Therapy, um, ear stapled, uh, acupuncture, thought field therapy, energy field therapy, the three-day diet, which I can only get today too. <laughs> um, tops, Weight Watchers, several times, Atkins, high protein, low protein, no carbs, lots of carbs, vegetarian, vegan, how, CEA, how, gray sheet, orange sheet, and all the plans on the original dignity of choice. And um, when it came to step one, I thought that isn't, that's the easy one to take. My life is unmanageable because I don't know how many more are out there that I could have tried. Oh, and then um, somebody was talking about machines and, and gyms and diet clubs, of which I belonged to a lot. And in San Francisco in the 60s, I belonged to one where you laid on this machine and the machine exercised you for an hour and a half. Patty Walker's Stopper Figure Salon. And you'd sleep for an hour and a half while this gigantic machine went to all parts of your body and then you would measure and you'd be thin. And then one day I went down and it was closed. They had moved and gone bankrupt or something. My story is that in all of those plans, um, I have I geared myself toward many who were uh, the perfection, and I geared myself towards many sponsors who demanded that per perfection, and I guess that's my lesson that I needed to learn because growing up it was, you're never enough, your feelings aren't right, why aren't you doing it this way? And one day I had had, well not one day, it took a while, I had a 65 pound weight loss. I was speaking all over the place and had um, a little Miss OA. And uh, I had lunch at 11.30 and they didn't have what I needed. It was at a business thing, so I only had a very little and I knew dinner was going to be at 8 p.m. And I had a V8 juice at 4 p.m. in the afternoon. And I had to give up all my sponsees, my service positions. Couldn't speak without permission of a sponsor and had to start over again. And um, I am so grateful for what I learned in that program because it got a question a day gearing towards the book. It got me to a sponsor is incredible. I still keep contact with today. And it also taught me that I have to be gentle on myself and I have to stand up for myself. And also, I don't want to see anyone else ever go through that again because the 65 pounds plus came back on. That's when the bulimia really kicked in and the laxative and the diuretics. I found my way back through a 12-step within workshop in Santa Cruz one weekend led by one of the speakers here. And by the way, I, I went to the 12-step within workshop this morning. If you're wondering about which tape to buy, I strongly recommend that one. It was a beautiful workshop and thank you to the two speakers that I see that are here now. It was a wonderful workshop this morning. I have studied nutrition in one of my licenses, um, and I think that we can learn so much by programs. I've learned a lot through every single one of those things on the other page I've learned. I've learned what's right for me. I've learned what's wrong for me. I've learned, um, I think of a story about this Indian whose family had made him this wonderful vest, and he was going up to the top of the mountain, and there was a snake that said, how do you do? Um, that, that, that looks very nice. I know you're going to the top of the mountain. I wonder if you just tuck me in so I can ride along to the top. And he said, no, you're a snake. 
And it's like, I've changed. I'm not like that anymore. I've gone through a program. I'm in recovery. I wouldn't do that to you. I just want to ride up the mountain. So the, uh, they got to the top and the snake bit him and went off. And the, and the Indian said, well, wait a minute. You promised. And he said, you knew I was a snake when you picked me up. You can't expect something different. And sometimes I get into the ring with food sub- substances that are not wise choices for me. And I think, here I am again. That's my snake that I picked up. I uh, write my food down daily. I do a 10 step on it at the end of the night, and I'm gentle with myself. I say, okay, you know what? 11.30 probably wasn't a good time to eat. 12.30 would have been better. This food choice, my, I went to breakfast with my sponsor a couple weeks ago, and her breakfast looked really great and alive and nutritious, and mine looked sort of like the two ninety nine special. You know, in Reno, everything, you have a lot of those specials. But um, well, I learned from that, and I just said, okay, the next week, and actually, for the next, like, five days, I had that breakfast that she had ordered because it looked really good, you know, fruit and protein, and it looked really yummy. And so I learned. But I didn't go and say, oh, you can't even order right in a restaurant. I don't do that to myself anymore. I'm really gentle with myself anymore. And I hope that in OA we don't have my food plan is better than your food plan. <laughs> Um, in the dignity of choice, because our first dignity of choice, I was around when we were going to take out the food plans, and, and I lit candles, too, and said, oh, please don't. What are we going to do if we don't have these? But this one is really beautiful, this little dignity of choice. And there's one that says, there is a difference between sharing our plan and imposing it on others. Of taking someone and dragging them over off of their path onto our path, and then taking them off when they're not doing it right. So... I don't allow myself to be treated that way anymore, and um, the, the people that I sponsor are not like that either. And they're very surprised because I sponsor a lot of people by email through the email service, and um, they're surprised when they say, if you want to send me your food for like the first 30 days, just so we can get an idea what you're doing, great. And if you don't, I'm here to support you on your path, but tell me what step you're working, how you're living your life in integrity today, and honor and balance. Sorry to keep doing this. Just put them on top of the head and let you be fuzzy for a while. Um, what I have done as a recovered bulimic is to leave a bite for God on my plate. And I started out with a wilted piece of lettuce in the most horrible place. and saying that I wouldn't have eaten anyway and thinking that that counted. But now I can actually look. And there was a movie that Barbara Streisand was in, and she always went for the perfect bite. Everything had to be just right. It was, maybe you saw that. I'm a little movie nut. So. But uh, sometimes the perfect bite will be, be left, and sometimes it's more than the perfect bite. It'll be, because I say, okay, God, stop me when it's, it's enough. Because I do weigh and measure some things. I went off and said, I'm never going to do that again. And then, of course, recipes are a real joy when I try it that way. I think, oh, a little bit more of this, a little bit more of that. Uh, so anyway, that bite for God helps because it's a boundary. And as a recovered bulimic, there were, there were no boundaries. And so this, this is something that works for me. I believe that all paths lead forward, that there is a, a learning experience, and that's, that's the whole thing. It, I work part-time at a bank now after retiring from working for an airline for like 33 years. And so whenever... We get monitors back or looking at training. I helped in training there and say, wow, this is really a learning experience. I'm glad because I didn't know that. 
before I started working for a bank, I used to screw open an account, close it, go to another bank, open another account. <laughs> and now this has taught me a great deal. I'm so grateful because my mind was geared towards airplanes. And I wore a uniform, and I had a closet full of different size uniforms. And that's, that's really sort of sad, you know, really big, big, until I got to the largest size that I could order. I worked in the, in the ticket office, and that's back. I never did fly. My daughter was a flight attendant, but I worked on the ground. But that 133 down to 130 to meet the weight standard for a person who was 5'7", I think I've shrunk a little bit at the time, um, just started on this path, and people warned me. And when I went into the shops, they said, oh, that could be dangerous. The, speed pills. Boy, I could get a line of people, you know, next in line. And <laughs> I, could get that air- <laughs> I could get that airplane out before it was ready to go. <laughs> so, anyway, it's a learning process. I've learned that that doesn't work and I'm not going to do that anymore. Okay, I have one little thing to read that I just love. An elderly Cherokee was teaching his grandchildren about life. He said to them, a fight is going on inside me. It is a terrible fight, and it is between two wolves. One wolf is evil. He is fear, anger, envy, sorrow, regret, greed, arrogance, self-pity, guilt, resentment, inferiority, lies, false pride, competition, superiority, and ego. Sounds like the character defect in six, doesn't it? The other is good. He is joy, peace, love, hope, sharing, serenity, humility, kindness, benevolence, friendship, empathy, generosity, truth, compassion, and faith. This same fight is going on inside you and inside every other person, too. They thought about it for a minute. And then one child asked his grandfather, which wolf will win? The old Cherokee simply replied, the one you feed. Come think about, huh? Anyway, um, about six and a half years ago, I moved from the Bay Area to Reno. And and some of my beloved Reno people are here today. Thank you. I have found such love and understanding in that group. I was... Uh, developing some severe health issues with, I wasn't able to walk. I would either walk with a cane or a walker. I thought it was going to be in a wheelchair. And in March, I had surgery and a knee replacement on one knee. And next year, the other one gets done. And people that I hardly knew said, I'll be there for you. And they came and they Maryland sat me. They stayed for hours at my house and signed up. They had little charts where they signed up. People came to the hospital, called. And I went into that knowing I had support. And I went in with an attitude of gratitude. And with every single step of the way, literally, I gave thanks. I wrote 14 thank you letters at the hospital before I left. And they said, wow, no one's ever done this before. But I made sure before I walked out the door that the people that cared for me, I wanted them to know how much it meant to be there. That, to me, is what our OA families are about, that we can call and we can reach out and we can share truth that we never thought would see the light of day, and yet we can do it with, with people in the program. I've done several four steps about every year or so. I do another four step because it's layers of an onion, and I know there are things that come up that just need to 
to be done, and I'm glad it's progress, not perfection, because um, I know I used to joke that if there was a mistake made, it was a slight flaw in an otherwise perfect personality. (laughs) (laughs) Not true. We all learn and we all grow. Anyway, OA to me has been a loving and incredible experience. It's been an incredible journey each and every step of the way. I'm glad I had the V8 experience. I've talked that experience over with the sponsor many times, and I think that we're all gentler now because of that. Because when you stop and think about it, you have somebody who's binging and purging, perhaps, or just binging, or weighs maybe 100 pounds more than what they have to weigh, is desperate with health conditions, and if there's a a vegetable in an afternoon between meals, where's the gentleness and where's the sanity in that? And in studying nutrition, 301 is a goal and is a reality for many people in the program, and it works for them. It doesn't work for me. I need to have smaller meals spread out through the day. And so there's another way. And when I saw this dignity of choice, and I thought, hey, wow, they even put it in print. Not that there's something other, which was a uh, something that I could never maintain. So anyway, wherever you are on your path, they say we're exactly where we're meant to be, and that um, our life's lessons, it's an incredible journey, and that no matter how far we have gone down the scale, we'll see how our benefits and experience can benefit someone else, how our experiences can benefit others. So anyway, I wish you a day filled with peace and abstinence and joy. This meeting is now open for three-minute pitches. Please limit your sharing to three minutes and continue to and continue, can confine, excuse me, your share to your experience, strength, and hope on the topic discussed today. Also, all participants must sign the truly form before you um, come up for your pitch or while you're up here. This session ends at 11.15. So who would like to come up first? And then you could just start a line over on the side right here. This lady in the middle. Good morning. Good morning. I'm Camille, recovering compulsive overeater. Hi, um, All I could think about while we were all sharing, and thank you so much. Thank you so much for your wisdom. And thank you so much all for showing up for support. Is um, In the big book, there's a sentence, and it's close to this. It's something about nothing but continuous action on these steps will bring the much desired result. And... Um, you know, I've been in program for a while, and for years and years, I held on to just it was about the food. And if I could only get the food, then I'd have it. And it was my control issues is what it really was about. And um, one day, my miracle was I finally accepted the fact that I'm powerless over food, period. And that who I need to listen to is a sponsor, because the Camille plan did not work well for a very long time. And... Um, you know, and the hardest thing for me to accept today because there's a part of my personality that's very black and white and I, and I, you know, I like it that way, is that this program for me is fluid. And that's why I will always be here till the day I die. That's why I will have a sponsor till the day I die. That's why I continue to read the big book and the steps because I continue to change. And I'm in this program for life. And um, to work with a sponsor who is so loving and so accepting 
and will not black and white me around my food is the most frightening experience for me on a daily basis. And I've been asking for over 11 years because I want her to tell me still today I'm good or bad. And I work, I um, um, am conscious, I am conscious on a daily basis of my language because good and bad never worked for me. So today, you know, today I'm just grateful. And I'm so happy I'm here. I'm like so excited it's the best date I've got. Thanks a lot. My name is Sue. I'm a compulsive reader. Thank you very much for being here. I'm, um, this subject is near and dear to my heart as is Relapse. I was in the the uh, other workshop this morning too, and they to to me they go together because it's it's because that's where I am, I guess. Um, I have I came to my first OA meeting in the early 70s back in Chicago, and um, I for whatever reason when I relapsed, I am in the past was not able to keep coming back. So I do want to do a quick pitch on that. I I don't know if you can see it from here, but this is a chart from 1956 in five pound increments of my weight and there are only two times in there in my whole life where I've stayed the same weight for two years in a row. I'm either in the past was either always gaining or losing and um, I lost between 50 and 100 pounds five different times twice in a way as I would I would come back after I had relapsed and gained a bunch and then I would come back again because I knew it worked. And the last time, I lost 133 pounds three years ago, and I, I was, was not in OA at the time. And the first year after, I tried to convince myself that I didn't need you people, I could do it by myself. I was strong enough this time, old enough, experienced enough, whatever. And I, um, I actually put myself through sugar withdrawal four times that year. I gained and lost the same 20 pounds four times that first year and then came crawling back <laughs> to OA because even though I can lose weight outside OA, I can't keep it off. I can't keep it off. I've, uh, my abstinence from sugar is January 3rd of 2003 and I've been going through um, I, I'm just trying to be honest because I, and that's why I was fascinated with this subject. I had some surgery in December and so this could be just an excuse, you know, I couldn't work out for a while. And so I picked up a few pounds and I wasn't overly concerned about it. And I knew that I was having trouble with nuts. Um, my nutritionist says that I can eat uh, um, organic nuts um, measured by the tablespoon and I measure them by the cup. And um, and I'm not, today, I'm not willing to give up the nuts. I'm looking at things that um, I can do for the rest of my life. I can give up sugar for the rest of my life because I know that I can't handle it. I'm still hoping to gain control over nuts. I may yet decide I have to give them up. Um, I'm experimenting with a new food plan now at, that my sponsor said, ooh, Sue, looks like a diet to me. <laughs> and I said, well, um, I I feel like I could do this the rest of my life. Let me try. And she said, sure. You know, she's, she loves me and she'll support me where I am. And I don't know yet if it's going to work. It's still pretty new. I At least the scale is coming down instead of going up. And I'm still eating nuts. 
So this is a, <laughs> is a good thing. But I just, I am so thankful for this program that it's here, that it's, it's here whether I come back or not. It's here so that when I'm ready to come back, it's still here. And uh, this last time, if, I'm still not calling it a relapse just because I gained weight. I did, I was still asking it. And so to me, it's not a relapse. But if it was, I kept coming back anyway. So thank you so much for being Hello, my name is Laverna. Hi, Laverna. I've been in program since uh, February of 98. Uh, prior to that, I had about 25 years of diet, and I lost a lot of money uh, on different things. <laughs> if I had put all that money in the bank, I'd be a rich woman today. And uh, I had a physical the other week, and my doctor told me that over my life of um, losing weight and gaining weight, I have lost 300 pounds. Uh, right now, presently, since I've been in the program, I have an 80-pound weight loss. I have over 100 pounds to go. And I must say that today, uh, thank you. Today, I have three weight and measure meals a day. I have life in between. Um, I am fighting the obsession of the mind because the mind is a very tricky thing. Uh, I went through... Um, withdrawal pains and I got migraines and I got nauseous and I thought what is wrong with me you know but today my food is like a shot of medicine each meal is like a dose of my medicine if you have too much you overdose if you have too less you have a reaction so I just have to remember when I'm eating this is healthy for my body this is what my body needs this is not what my brain needs. This is not what my mind needs or my ego or any of that. So that's how I have to look at my food because it's, it's really when it's just baffling and cunning that it's so true. So, and my message today is no matter what you do, keep coming back because you do better in these rooms with us than you do out there by yourself thinking you know what you're doing. Just keep coming back. Uh, I, I got my spiritual recovery pretty much first, emotional recovery came second, the physical recovery is kind of the last thing to come and I still have a lot, a long way to go but it will work eventually and uh, just keep coming back and thank you for being here. Hi, I'm Kim and I'm a compulsive eater. And uh, I'm, I'm really glad to, that I really appreciated a lot that I heard today about the speakers. And, and I just wanted to share kind of my story about abstinence because, you know, I was in the perfectionism and I was really jealous of all the people who could count their weeks and days, you know, and say how many they had. And, and so I went through that period of time about doing that. And, and, um, and then I had the slip, the, you know, the little thing or whatever else that, that wasn't on the program and um, and got kicked out of, you know, that, that place, or at least I chose to leave that place because I didn't want to keep doing that over and over again. It just wasn't working for me. Anyway, eventually I, and so I thought, well, I haven't had accidents. <laughs> you know, it's just, it's just, I haven't, you know, so what it, you know, and so I was still trying to define it, you know, what's the food plan and so on and so forth. And finally, um, I, I also had issues in other programs, and um, and I realized, I, I, anyway, that 
for example, in AA, they do talk about, you know, they can say a day they had their last drink. But if you go to Al-Anon, for example, they won't say that because, you know, what they do, and my mother was one of those, is they swear at their husbands or they, they plead with them to stop drinking or they do a bunch of crazy-making behaviors, uh, you know, chase them around and, you know, make excuses for their boss for them. Their recovery is the day they started into Al-Anon is when they date it. They don't date it from the last time they bitched or, you know, were frustrated or whatever else because they're human and they still do some of those little behaviors. And um, this is a program of rigorous honesty. And for a long time, I had a perfectionistic view of rigorous honesty. And when I think now about my abstinence, I now date it from when I came in. Uh, for a couple of reasons. I have given up my major bin food, which was chocolate, my dark master, as I call it. <laughs> um, and, and I have eaten it since, two or three times a year. I keep trying it. I, I discovered it tastes kind of bitter. It, to me, I recoil from it now like a hot flame, and I'm very grateful for that. Um, but my recovery you know, is, is from the beginning that I came in here because rigorous honesty says not the date that I, the last date that I ate my, that binge item. My recovery started 12 years ago. My abstinence started, whatever you want to say. My commitment to abstinence started, even if my number of days specifically didn't start there. So I'm, I'm just real grateful that I'm hearing other people in LA kind of move in that direction. And, uh, and, and more uh, acceptance of, of the fact that, um, that some of us arrest this illness. That's the other thing. My physical recovery is, is that I have not gained, you know, five pounds every six months like I did before I came in here. I mean, I would be a 300-pounder right now if I hadn't come into these rooms 12 years ago. And I have now recently released about two, two sizes, and I'm pleased about that. Mostly because I started physical activity, but that's a whole different country, really. But, anyway, but basically what I want to say is that um, is recovery, you have to claim your own responsibility in this program and your own uh, wisdom and maybe your own authority to say what's your recovery when it starts and what your abstinence is and not be looking for other people's approval or to tell you what's good or bad. Thanks. Hi, my name is Ken. I'm a compulsive overeater. Hello. Uh, thank you to all the speakers. It was really great to hear you. Um, I've been coming to OA for about eight years, and I just wanted to share a little bit about my program. Um, that I've been, ex I've, I've allowed myself to experiment with different food plans. There have been six months or nine month periods when it's become very disciplined, and I call my food in every day and write it down, and that's been helpful. But then there's sometimes I drift away from that, and I try, you know, I want to give myself permission to try on different food plans from different people. And and as I noticed over the eight years, it has been progress in that things have changed that haven't gone back. Like I drink three large waters a day that have worked for me through disciplined times and non-disciplined times. And and a couple of other principles that help me. Um, one, it's good for me to know my higher power, my God, loves me whether I'm using food or not. It's, it's important for me to get that place. So it's not a bad can, good can type of thing. But, um, but it's kind of like, what, what kind of life do I have? What, 
what do I do with this life that my higher power gave me? And um, the analogy I'll use is like being, uh, I'll get to go up to bat more in life when my food's clean. If I'm using food and I'm numbing out, I really don't, I'm not making good decisions and good choices. And, you know, and God still loves me, but it's kind of what kind of life do I have? Where when my food's clean and I'm really feeling present, and I usually end up with a lot more emotions that way, um, that, that I, may, I make better choice, I make a lot better choices and decisions in my life. And currently for me, that's around my career and my relationship. You know, there's always big choices in life. So this program has given me so much, and it, you know, and it helps me, uh, and I think it helps me make the right choices. Thanks. I'm Beverly, an addict. Hi, Hi. I want to thank all three speakers. And I'm coming of age. You've heard of AA coming of age. So I'm coming of age. I am Beverly, an addict. But my biggest addiction is to food. And I think of all the great literature that's out there. And I love the voices of recovery. It talks about OA literature, 12 steps, 12 traditions, and tools. And I think it was day before yesterday, the 12 freedoms and voices of recovery. I also think of how Roseanne, our co-founder, was at the beginning writing the rewrite, the 12 steps that Bill worked so hard on and decided, <laughs> why change it? Something works, and I need to keep learning that, huh? And so I'm most grateful, and I appreciate being an overeater enough. It's now time to close this session. Let's thank our speakers again. Please stand where you are, and after a moment of silence, please join me in the third step prayer.